You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it's Drew here with Connor and Josh getting ready to talk to you for a whole episode about soccer going on in the States and abroad. But before we get to another jam-packed episode, it's Connor's turn this week to start us off. So Connor, how was the past week for you? It was good. Just sort of chilling, relaxing. Um, Raptors didn't do very well yesterday, to say the least. Uh, So hopefully they bounce back against the Celtics, but who knows? Fred Van Vliet's kids arrived in the bubble today. And if you paid any attention to the NBA last year, after his, I think it was his son was born, he just became a completely different basketball player and went off. So I'm hoping that repeats uh, in this series, but who knows? Other than that, Toronto beat Montreal, which is a good thing as always. And Atlanta lost to Orlando, which is even better. So... I'm just going to make fun of them endlessly on today's show for that. Josh, how are you doing today, and how is the pickup soccer going for you? I had a good week. I'm doing doing well today. Work was good today. It was very productive, so I'm feeling good about that. Uh, this past weekend, pickup was great. I did not score eight goals, unfortunately. My team did win 9-3. to three. They played me at striker again. I scored five goals this week. <laughs> <laughs> And I did, what I am super proud of is I did score a perfect hat trick. So I got a header, a right-footed goal, and a left-footed goal. So very, very, very proud of that. I almost got a perfect hat trick a few weeks ago, but I ended up not scoring with my right foot, I think it was. So I got that this week. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Drew, how are you doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there. This was the first full week of classes here at Georgia, so that was... In adventure, getting ready to start the second full week. But yeah, it was a good week. I did not play pickup soccer. I like went and shot with a friend though, and I headed a ball for like the first time ever. And I think I headed it super wrong because it like just hurt. I think I headed like at the top of my head, not on this little yep, those suck. forehead. Yeah, those so that was bad. Suck. Um, but beside that, it was a good week. I got to watch. I watched a lot of women's soccer this week, which is good. I watched. Um, City and Chelsea for the Community Shield. And then I think it was Liverpool-Arsenal, I think, on the men's Community Shield side. And then Women's Champions League final, which was good. I got to see a lot of Canadians play, Connor. I got to see Janine Becky and um, Leon won Champions League. So you have two Canadian Champions League winners this year. So that's... do. Kadishi Buchanan is a legend. That's like... Is that her fifth Champions League? And that's Leon's fifth straight. It's something like that. She's gotten a lot of them. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many, but she's got a lot. Yeah, so it was a fun week. Um, but going, sticking with the women's soccer theme, uh, the NWSL is coming back this Saturday, September 5th, for their little fall series. Um, it's going to be streamed on Twitch for international viewers, so that's really good, getting fans from outside the states into the league. Um, I don't think we have a schedule yet, exactly what teams are playing when, but the press release did say that games will be played between September 5th and October 17th in these three separate pods. There's like the East, the West, and the Central, I think, are the three pods. Um, So not getting too deep into it, just wanted to ask you guys, 
what do you think about the NWSL coming back after their, I would say, relatively successful Challenge Cup in the summer? Well, I wanted to double check before we talked about it, but is this, remind me, is this competitive or is it like basically friendlies? Um, There's not going to be a playoffs, so I guess you could say they're more so friendlies because I don't think they're really competing for anything. Well, I, that's what I thought it was. I just hadn't, I haven't, you know, to be honest, I haven't really been reading about this too much. Um, but I, I thought I'd seen somewhere that there wasn't any sort of playoffs involved with it. With that, with that being said, I think that's a very interesting aspect to this just because I, I don't think the, the, the play is going to take a hit or anything. I, I still think it'd be super entertaining, but I just wonder if they might tack on a playoffs at the end or sort of if they might change the plan down the road and, and seems like there hasn't been too much information released. Uh, it was announced today that all the games are going to be streamed on Twitch in the U.S. I don't know about Canada, Connor, but going to be streamed on Twitch. So that's exciting because that's free for everybody. I don't think there's any fee involved. So that's, you know, a lot of complaints were about how CBS All Access was keeping people from watching the game. So that's something exciting. And I know there'll be some games on CBS because of lack of college football on Saturdays. So that'll get a lot of attention. So I'm excited for that aspect of it. Just more exposure for the the women's league here. Connor, you got any thoughts on this? I'm going to be honest. I haven't heard anything about this, period. Uh, I have just haven't seen anything. And I don't know if that's just because I'm in Canada or what it is, but... Yeah, I haven't seen any sort of advertisements. I didn't even realize that they were already resuming play. I don't know. As long as they can get games, and from the sounds of it, they're going to be playing games on Saturdays when college football would be on. So being able to do that is going to be huge for them, and it's going to hopefully bring in a bigger audience. But yeah, I just hadn't heard anything, so I can't really comment much on what's happening in the NWSL and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Josh, because I think one Saturday a month, no, yeah, one game will be streamed on like big CBS every Saturday in September, which in Georgia usually reserves Saturdays on CBS for college football. So that's going to be exciting to see NWSL on Saturdays. Um, But yeah, so that's exciting. Women's soccer coming back in the States. But going outside the States, really big news that I totally did not expect. Weston McKinney has left Schalke and is now at Juventus. He's in Italy. Josh, you're given fist pumps, so I imagine you're really excited about this. I'm, did you ex- Go ahead. Did you expect this? Because this transfer came out of the window. just came out of nowhere for me. So did you see this transfer coming, and do you think it's a good move for Weston McKinney? I did not see this move coming at all. It was just a huge surprise when, uh, what's his name, Fabrizio Romano? I, I can't remember... I'm used to seeing him all over my Twitter feed now. It seems like he's the most popular source for the European transfers. But, you know, when he first announced the Juventus thing, like a few days ago, I was like completely shocked because they were never once mentioned as any of the teams interested. And there were a lot of teams, you know, Wolves, Liverpool, Southampton, uh, Hertha Berlin was apparently really close to signing him. So for Juventus to come out of nowhere and get it is just very, very surprising. We'll say before I talk about the decision is going to, is good or not it's cool to see an american at juventus he's the first ever american signing for the club so that's that's at least a really cool thing to see hopefully there are more in the future but as far as a good move or bad move for mckinney personally i think it's a good move 
because I think if midfielder Andrea Pirlo is adding you to his team, the same team where he, which he's already gotten rid of, uh, Pippa, or not Pippa, uh, Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi, then I think it's got to mean something if he wants McKinney in his midfield. Will he get a lot of playing time? I don't really know. I think that just from looking at Juventus's midfield, and I know, oh, Connor, I cannot wait to talk to you about this because I know you disagree with everything I'm saying, but just from looking at Juventus's midfield, and I, I think he's going to have a, a solid chance at playing. It's, it should also be worth noting that it's technically a loan move, but I saw somewhere from an Italian journalist that this is a common thing that the Italian clubs do where they say it's a loan deal in order to skirt around some financial rules. I don't remember the specifics of it, but that shouldn't be alarming to anyone, I don't think. But I think it's a good move. Connor, debate me. Well, just to clarify on the move, it's a $3 million, uh, loan, and then I believe it's an $18 million purchase option that Juventus have. I don't like the move, as Josh just brought up. I don't think it's good for his development. When I look at the players that are on Juventus right now, I see Artur, I see Rodrigo Bentenker, I see Adrian Rabio, and I see Aaron Ramsey. And I don't see Weston McKinney getting in over anyone apart from maybe Ramsey. And I think that's an issue because he's at an age where he's going to want a lot of playing time. And I don't think he's going to get that on Juventus. I like the move in terms of the fact that he's playing under Pirlo, but it's the fact that he won't be getting very many games. And that's worrisome for me. I want to see him succeed, obviously, but there's still no guarantee that that will happen. And right now, I don't know if this is the right move for his development, personally. I... I, I agree in terms of you know some of the worrying about the playing time and yeah he's at a point in his career where playing time is important but I mean looking again looking at the midfield yeah Ramsey's probably well you know what now that I think about it maybe he's not such a penciled in starter because again Pirlo just took over and the only midfield move that's been made since Pirlo got in charge is Weston McKinney and again I think that's a really good indication and he he's definitely not going to get as much playing time as he was at Schalke because he was super important for that team he did everything for them he's definitely not going to get as much playing time but again learning under Andrea Pirlo one of the best midfielders of all time ever in soccer is going to be a huge benefit regardless of how much playing time he gets let's just hope that it's enough you know yes Rodrigo Betancourt is in there but the fee for him was only 9.5 million euros and he's been with the team for three years. And I will admit, I haven't watched a lot of Juventus soccer, but I don't remember him being a player to get a lot of playing time. I haven't heard his name called that often. Even the same for um, Rabiot, for Adrian Rabiot. I had to look up because I remember how much it was such a big deal for him to sit out that year at PSG. He'd been demoted all the way to the reserves because he wanted out just for him to get to Juventus and then not really play that much. I think he only made like 10 appearances for them last year. Like he didn't even play for them that much. So those couple of things, like, yeah, obviously Arthur is going to be really big for them. Yeah, Aaron Ramsey's going to be big for them. But I think McKinney stands a really decent chance of getting some good playing time. I'm interested to see where he plays personally, because obviously there's now an opening in defensive midfield. And 
maybe that's where McKenney slots in, or is that where they put in a Rabio instead? I think that's going to be really interesting. I guess competition between the two of them to see who does well and who fits Pirlo's system because. Have we even seen Pirlo manage before? No. This is his first. Remember, he was supposed to take over the like one of the academy teams or the U23 team or whatever, and that was going to be his first like legit coaching position. So, yeah, that's another thing. Who knows what formation it's going to be? It could be three midfielders. It could be four. It could be two. And, again, you know, how is McKinney going to slot into that? And I don't even think people know how to use Weston McKinney yet. I mean, I don't really think... Because, you know, it's easy. With Tyler Adams, you know what his best position is. You know, Pulisic's... Like, all these other young American players, you know what their position is. But I bet if you were to try to ask somebody what Weston McKinney's position is, they're going to have a hard time trying to figure that out. Just because he's been played in so many places. And he's sort of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, right? He does a lot, but it's never one specific skill set that he's just really, really good at. Drew, what do you think about... uh, the, the, what do you think about the move? Do you think it's good, bad? Yeah, I think, again, like you said, Josh, I haven't watched too much Juventus soccer. Um, but I'm excited for it. Again, it's, he's going to a club that winning is for sure the standard word, Schalke. Winning was not very expected in that Bundesliga. And I think we might be kind of discrediting how much playing time he's going to get. Obviously, he's not going to get as much as Schalke. But, I mean, this is a team that's going to be in Champions League in the Italian League. I mean, Juventus is expected to win the whole thing every year. Maybe the Milan sides um, might put up a fight, but I think with Juventus kind of running the show there in Italy, that's going to give him a lot of time to play games that really don't mean a whole lot or they're going to be up big, put in McKinney and see what he can do. And then you have Champions League, they're going to try and rest some guys up. The Italian uh, Cup, I don't know what it's called, but the Italian Tournament that they're going to rest players to keep fresh, and that's going to give him some time to play. So I'm a big fan of it. I like it. Again, like you said, Josh, this move came out of nowhere for me. I'm excited to see him at a winning club like Juventus. And maybe, again, I think you mentioned it, that maybe the playing time will decrease. I think we can all agree on that. But maybe just being under Perlo is going to add a lot to his development, and we'll see that on the men's national team. But it was an exciting move. Came out of nowhere. Uh, I had to do a double take when I saw the news happen. But Weston McKinney to Juventus, first American at Juve. So that is really exciting news. Um, sticking with Europe, the big news, Messi. No one knows what the heck's going on. Um, but there was, I think, a part of his contract. If he goes to Manchester City, which I think that's like under that's like the biggest possibility i think it's between like staying at barca and going to city but there's i heard something that there was a part if he goes to manchester city a part of the deal would be he has to spend time at nycfc in mls connor's pointing his finger up so connor what do you think about messi possibly coming to mls if it even happens because this is all just a big rumor I've been following the situation pretty closely just because I find this so interesting and see it as being potentially huge for the league. And the rumors that I saw, I believe ESPN might have been the first to have it, were Messi would go to NYCFC for three years. And after those three years, he would move to uh, NYCFC, which would be insane, uh, first of all. Second of all, I don't see that as being incredibly unlikely. I've also, I think, heard Juventus potentially in the mix to sign Messi, although I find that very hard to believe. I think the NYCFC rumor, or not NYCFC, he's not going there initially, but the Manchester City rumor is probably more likely, and I think he might go for it 
a bit better because he would get to eventually move to New York. But I don't know. I find this entire situation so intriguing with La Liga saying yesterday he's not out of his contract and then him not showing up for like the mandatory COVID testing and now for preseason training as well. Uh I don't know. I think it could happen. I think City's putting together a pretty decent package. The rumors that I saw, I'm not sure if these have been confirmed or not, were like Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, and I think it was Eric Garcia, plus 100 million euros for Messi. So obviously a lot to pay for Manchester, but when you're getting a guy like Messi, I don't know. Josh, what are your thoughts on this entire move? Two brief opinions. One... I hope that Messi literally goes to any team except NYCFC because I don't want to watch the best soccer player of human existence to play on a baseball field. Literally anywhere else, please. I don't want to see Messi on a baseball field. Especially, it's not even legit. It's not even a real soccer field. It's not even big enough. So that's my first brief thought. Second brief brief thought is I do hope, just for the sake of seeing them together i want messi at juventus so we can have ronaldo and messi on the team i just i just need it to happen for the world like people need to be able to experience this it just it just needs to happen i don't i don't even think it will i'm I'm pretty sure if he leaves barca if it ends up happening he'll go to man city but ronaldo and messi would be just insane moving on though real quick Speaking of Juventus, as we spent a lot of time talking about it, Gonzalo Higuain, the striker, he's been heavily linked to Inter-Miami. I even saw some reports slash rumors today that they've made a formal offer for him, which I think it would be a good move just because they'd be adding a really good player who can still offer a lot, especially in a league like MLS. I just wonder if it'll be the bright move. I haven't been watching too much of Miami, but I'm seeing two types of people that view enter Miami soccer. They say Miami needs a number nine or they say Miami needs a better chance creator. So who knows if that's even going to help Miami solve the problems. They just lost to Nashville actually, which don't even know if that should have happened. (laughs) You look at the talent disparity on those two teams and not great for them, but let's move on even further. Turn our attention over to Salt Lake city and Utah Big news, owner Del Loy Hansen is looking to sell RSL, Real Monarchs, and Utah Royals. So that's the MLS team, the USL team, and the NWSL team. With all the boycotts and protesting and striking that went on in the middle of the week, which we will talk a lot more later about, but or we'll get into it in a second but before we get into that that led to some very choice comments from Deloy Hansen and then after he spoke to his own radio affiliate in Salt Lake then even more reports came out about some racist remarks that Hansen has said over the years what are your guys' thoughts on I, I want to know two things one how how do you feel about how the league handled things? And then two, what do you think about the possibility of a new ownership group coming in and getting all three clubs or getting one of the clubs breaking up the clubs? So I want your guys' opinions on that. Drew, I'll start with you. What do you think about how the league handled this situation? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a weird situation because 
it's dealing with three separate leagues. So, like you said, the USL, MLS, and NWSL. Um, again, the only thing I really saw was leagues condoning his remarks um, and I think opening up investigations. I think the NWSL in their press release, they mentioned that. So, I mean, again, I'm not sure what all that entails. Um, again, it's kind of weird because you have three different leagues and maybe they want to work together on this because it's the same owner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was surprised at how fast this all developed because I think it was Wednesday that players began striking games and here we are Monday and we're talking about him looking to sell the club. So I was surprised at how fast it all happened. Um, but about new ownership, that's interesting because again, is it, are you, if you're buying all three clubs or are you buying an NWSL club or a USL club or MLS club? And then I know there's been rumors of Josie Altador and J.J. Watt getting into it, which maybe we'll touch on more in a second, but I think that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, again, you look at if they do buy the club, maybe relocation. Again, if they're buying all three, that probably makes it a little harder. But if they're buying one club, that might make it a little easier to move from Salt Lake City to a team, a city that needs an NWSL team or wherever they feel best. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought surprised at how fast it all developed i think choosing to sell was the right decision i don't think any league really wants association with this guy after some of the remarks that came out i think it was the athletic reported the story um some pretty horrendous things so yeah i'm interested to see how this all develops because it's three teams in three separate leagues and how if they'll have any work together at all on this or if they'll stay as their own independent respective leagues um connor what do you think about the situation going on in salt lake city right right now it's a bit of a nightmare to be honest um just pr wise and everything along those lines it's been just brutal uh for rsl and hansen has not made it any better at all uh i think all three teams are owned under the same ownership group so i suppose it is feasible that they sell it one by one but i think they'd probably try to do it in one giant transaction uh, i think that might be a bit f- better financially although i'm not an accountant and i don't know how the taxes in the u.s work so maybe i'm wrong on that but i think that they'll be sold as one giant entity and one of the evaluations i saw on twitter so take this with a giant grain of salt is this could potentially be like a $750 million sell, I guess, sale, uh, if they're to sell all three teams, which that'll be huge no matter what. And J.J. Watt and Josie Altador better have some really good partners who are very, very wealthy because they aren't going to be able to do that on their own. Uh, but it would be really interesting to see that happen. I don't know what would happen if Josie Altador bought the team because he's currently playing for Toronto and he now owns another MLS team. So I don't know what the rules around that are. I don't even know if that's happened before, period. But I think that'll be really interesting to see just how this entire situation plays out. The accusations against Hansen were very, very bad, um, to say the least. It's probably putting it very lightly. And yeah, I just it's just really disappointing that this would still happen today. And... I saw a lot of people comparing it to Donald Sterling, and he's the modern-day or MLS version of Donald Sterling. 
And in that situation, the league took the team or forced him to sell the team. And I would have liked that to have happened in this situation, just so that they could have gotten this really bad PR out of the way completely. I know he wouldn't have been a fan of it, obviously, but they do have that option. And I wouldn't have been opposed to seeing that happen. Josh, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, my my biggest issue with how everything went down, other than Hanson's behavior, which is just absolutely terrible. Uh, the only the only biggest thing that I was disappointed in is, like you said, Connor, the league didn't step in and force him to sell. They kind of just let him do it on his own. Even if they did go back behind the scenes and say, "Hey, Deloy, you gotta you gotta get rid of the team, man. We can't have you as an owner anymore." Like, why couldn't they at least say that publicly? It just kind of looks weird for them to kind of put out a, a gray statement in response to his comments in the morning and the athletic report in the afternoon, and then for them to not for them to come back a few days later and say Deloy Hansen has decided to sell the team instead of we are forcing Deloy Hansen to sell the team. I, I just wish it had, they'd been more forcible in that and been more clear in getting rid of him. But other than that, I'm glad he's he's gone and that they're getting rid of him. I don't want an owner like that. You know, it, it's just super disappointing. I remember I was just shocked reading the his comments on his radio show on, on Wednesday morning, or Thursday morning, I should say, the, the following morning after all the strikes. I just could not believe he had actually said those things. Uh, so good riddance on his part. As for J.J. Watt and Josie Altidore, and all that other entrance, I assume that two guys like that would be part of an ownership group and it wouldn't, you know, just be them. It'd be sort of like LAFC. You got Will Farrell as the face of the ownership group, even though there's like 20 of them. Same thing for, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Austin FC. He's a huge fan or whatever. And I actually, I don't even know if he owns part of the team or not since that's uh, Austin Precourt or Anthony Precourt, but uh, maybe he does. So maybe it'll be something like that where, J.J. Watt, who's an outspoken soccer fan, he's been a Chelsea fan for a long time. His wife plays for Chicago, right? Chicago Red Stars. So he's just a huge fan of the game in general, and it means a lot to him. So him and Josie Altidore is the same way. He he, They are both super invested in growing the women's game, so I think they would be very important voices in an ownership group because there's no way those guys are buying the, the club on their own. Because like you said, Connor, they're – these MLS clubs, even though they don't make a ton of money, they just they're valued so high because of the potential for them in the next few years. So that's big. But let's talk just a little bit about where Connor, you go ahead before we do that. I was just gonna say they're worth a lot of money because it's guaranteed money. There's no risk of going up or down, and that's a lot. I think if the teams were to be sold separately, I think it's pretty much a guarantee, in my opinion, that JJ Watt will buy the NWSL team because I think he's just so invested in women's soccer and he wants to see this go so far that I think he could do that and he would do that. I don't know what that means for his wife or girlfriend. I'm not sure, fiance, what she is to him, uh, partner, I guess. But yeah, this entire situation is just crazy and all stemming from a basketball team in the Milwaukee Bucks uh, boycotting their games, leading to every other team to boycott in the NBA. And now, uh, or I guess that night, uh, Orlando-Nashville played, but that was it. Every other game was boycotted. What did you guys think of that entire situation? Like, where do you sort of stand on it? I think it was a really, it was a really powerful move from the players and all the leagues. 
I, I do think there were a couple of MLB games. I know the Braves were playing a doubleheader that day, and so, and and for them and for Orlando and Nashville, it seemed like the the Bucks walk out of their game. It didn't really make the round in the news until those other games had started playing. So I, I can see why those games ended up happening. It's a little bit clearer in hindsight, but um, yeah, I'm just. I think it was really cool. It was really great to see just all of these players sort of take power into their own hands and say, hey, we don't we don't need to be a distraction to the bigger issues right now. And even more impressive to me is that they're turning this into concrete action. The NBA announced that every single basketball arena is going to be turned into a voting center for those cities, which is fantastic. And hopefully it leads to even more things. I hope that because at the end of the day, these owners – for all of these sports clubs, all these sports teams, they have tons of power in this country and even in some other countries, but definitely in this country. So if the players can force the owners to be responsible about the communities they entertain, then great. I'm all for it. And I, I do really hope it brings about some positive change. Drew, what are your sort of main thoughts on the, the boycotted games on Wednesday night? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really just had to echo what Josh says. It was really cool um, when the Bucks first did it, which I thought was really awesome that the Milwaukee Bucks um, took that upon themselves. I think their their arena is like the closest to where the Jacob Blake incident happened. So I was really happy to see the Bucks kind of take ownership of this and lead the way. And uh, again, I was really surprised at how fast it all went down across leagues because I think they boycotted their game. Um, and then I think the Rockets were next. And then you had the WNBA spin, uh, spinning all their games. You had most MLB games being postponed, like Josh said. I think the Braves were, like, in the middle of their first game of a doubleheader when the news broke, so they really weren't in a position to just stop playing. Um, yeah, again, it was super cool to see the players put kind of put a stop on everything again, um, but this time for a much different reason than the pandemic forcing seasons to stop earlier. So, yeah, it was... It was awesome to see teams do that. Um, I know there's some question about, I think Atlanta was scheduled to play Miami that day. Um, and then there was kind of concern because you had players going out for warm-ups, and then they came out um, and left the field, and it was confirmed that the game was over. So, yeah, um, just super – it was really cool to see. Um, yeah, credit to the Bucks for taking leadership of that, and it kind of spread like wildfire across leagues. And, yeah, it's still – the conversation's still happening even though games are going on. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a super cool moment. Uh, Connor, what did you think about the boycotts on Wednesday's games? I think they were great. Uh, I had some family who weren't exactly on page with it because they didn't really understand why they were doing it. But once you watch the news and the fact that they were boycotting games was the very first story, I think proved to people why they were doing this because these issues were now first story on every news station around North America, which I think is huge. And I think it also should be mentioned that the Bucks weren't, like, they were the first team to boycott, but the Toronto Raptors and Boston Celtics had been very vocal the day before on the Tuesday, saying that they were thinking about boycotting the games. And that's sort of what got the wheels turning and what eventually led to the, uh, to the Bucks boycotting their game and all the other games being boycotted for the next two days. And that's one thing we do need to point out is these games weren't postponed. They were boycotted and the leagues had to move them. I think that's something that we need to realize and something that we need to understand is a lot of 
news sites and a lot of people have been saying the games were postponed when in reality it was a boycott that forced them to be postponed. And I think that needs to be pointed out because this was the player's initiative. This wasn't the league's. And the fact that we're seeing real change happen and the fact that we're seeing real concrete things happen, I think is huge. And not just in the U.S., but in Canada too, because we have our own issues as well. And I just think it's good to see. It's good that they're using their platform to try to better society. And that's what they went to play for initially. And we need to remember that, especially when it comes to the NBA. That's why they went to the bubble is to try to keep that platform and use the platform that they have to spread this message. And, you know, seeing Jacob Blake get shot and everything that's happened before that, whether it be Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, I think it, this conversation needs to keep going. And these players are really pushing for this conversation to keep going, which I think is very, very positive and something that us as fans and us as people who consume this kind of thing and consume the news need to understand that this is pushing for a movement and we need to understand just why they're doing this, which to me is the most vital part of this entire boycott and this entire situation. Do you guys have anything else you sort of want to add to the whole boycotting conversation before we dive into the situation around the Toronto-Montreal game, which happened on Friday night? Uh, which, you've, if you aren't aware, the Toronto-Montreal game, there was a little bit of uncertainty heading into it. Uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen in terms of whether or not it would be played, and ultimately it did. However, Josie Altador, uh, the Toronto FC player who we mentioned earlier, looking to potentially be involved with the RS um, with RSL and that entire situation with DLH and all that stuff, he didn't play. He set out for personal reasons. We don't know what those personal reasons are for sure, but I think we can probably assume this was as a boycott, which I think everybody's on board for. Uh, There's a lot of drama around the game in terms of whether it should have happened. Uh, after the game, you had Montreal players saying that they didn't think they were going to play the game. And then they did because Toronto players called and said, hey, we actually want to play this game. And they just played. But Toronto players sort of contradicted that. And even before the game started, before we could hear comments, Michael Bradley and Greg Vanny and some of his coaching staff stood for the national anthem when everybody else kneeled. And that created a bit of uproar, especially on social media. And after the game, obviously, they were questioned as to why they did this. And I thought their answers were good. I thought they were understandable. You know, Greg Vanny said he knew he would have a different time to protest because he wanted to stand with one of his assistant coaches, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, But he wanted to stand with him because he wasn't going to kneel. And Bradley said he used that moment to sort of think about the people who have been killed. And he's been very vocal in the past about uh, social rights issues and racism and very vocally against uh, somebody in the White House and that entire thing. So I don't know. I just think that entire situation was really, really interesting. Do you guys have any sort of thoughts on how that played out and what happened, what should have happened, anything along those lines? Yeah, I, you know, I, I understood why Michael Bradley and Vanny and some of the staff stood. I, I don't know what that exactly accomplishes at this point. You know, I'm of the belief that 
none of the anthems should be played unless it's an international game just because there's just no purpose and i think from what i've heard it's just the u.s canada and russia that plays national anthems before their sporting events all the other yeah ukraine might do it because of the war i think they might have started doing that as well uh but i did want to add Greg Vanny sort of alluded to in his comments that he doesn't think the anthems should be played before the game. So I think that should also be pointed out. Um, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's just odd that, you know, you, you can you can make your own judgments about the countries that are in that same group together. Um, but I wish the anthems weren't played. And I also think it's worth noting that it was just the Canadian national anthem that was played because it's just a game between two Canadian teams. So... It's not even like it's had any direct relation with the U.S. technically, but yeah, I you know I understand, especially after the comments after the game from Bradley why he chose to stand in Vanny. I just wish there would be some uniformity among the players, you know, just that they're all on the same page, because then there's this unnecessary uproar and upheaval about Bradley's st- uh, standing while everyone else is kneeling, and it just causes even more distractions. So. Just kind of wish they were unified in that in that sense. Drew, do you have any thoughts on this this Toronto Montreal pregame stuff? Um, not really. I, just, I think it was Pablo from the Athletic. I always botch his last name, but you guys know who I'm talking about. He wrote a tweet because the NWSL Challenge Cup was having the same situations um, about the kneeling and the standing. And I mean, again, if you want to stand, go for it. If you want to kneel, go for it. But I think Josh is dead on that. Just playing the anthems at this point seems just not it seems weird um like you mentioned being in a group with ukraine and russia not the best group to be with um so yeah i don't understand playing the anthems it just causes a lot of confusion and distraction um and i imagine the locker room that's an interesting conversation before a game about kneeling and standing that just adds a whole different element when you should be gearing for the match um yeah i thought i mean again if you want to stand go for it if you want to kneel go for it but Personally, uh, I don't think the anthem should be played. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to say that what hasn't already been said. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point with the uniformity. You have some games being played, some games not being played, some players standing, some players kneeling. And it would be nice to have this big unified statement across players, across the league. But these are individuals. Um, they have their own individual beliefs. So it's hard to do. But again, that's my biggest takeaway from the situation is that I don't understand why anthems should be played at all during these games. Connor, did you have any other thoughts about it? Uh, I did forget to mention that Justin Morrow also spoke after the match, and he said there are two people, you know, the two people in the dressing room who have been seriously in his corner this entire time have been Vanny and Bradley. So I don't think this is just a matter of, are these guys supporters of this movement? There was something else there. And look, it shouldn't be about whether or not these people are kneeling. It should be about whether or not there's actual change happening and whether or not it's starting a conversation. And unfortunately, with these two major members of Toronto FC not kneeling for the anthem, it's sort of diverted away from that a little bit, and that should be mentioned. Um, But on the anthem's front, they already have a great Hans Zimmer anthem. Why don't they just play that before the games? Like, do what they do with the Champions League. And take advantage of probably paying a lot of money to a composer to write this score for them and 
be the first league to not have anthems because realistically, if it isn't a national game, why are we doing it? Like, just a genuine question. Why are we doing it? There's really not really a point anymore. And people are sort of moving away from that personally. Everybody has their own beliefs. And I understand that. And if you're a supporter of the anthem and you think that it should be played, we all understand that. And it's just personal preference ultimately. But understand that this may not be the exact belief that everybody else holds. And maybe it's time to divert away from that and do what England and France and Germany and all the other major soccer leagues are already doing and not playing the anthem. Do you guys have anything to add before we get into the other games this week that didn't weren't just covered in controversy? <laughs> I wanted to ask really quick, um, do you think because we're a league of two different countries, do you think that adds a different element to anthems being played? Because you have Canadian teams playing American teams a lot of the time. Do you think that changes things compared to other domestic leagues? I want to ask, did they play the anthems prior to 2007? You mean before Canadian teams joined? Before Canadian teams joined. showed up i guess yeah i would say i don't know the exact answer to that but i would say probably just because this has been done at sporting events in the states for just a long time so it's probably customary since the league is relatively new compared to the other sports leagues yeah i think it's a very weird conversation to have because it's something that a lot of people believe in and a lot of people don't believe in and it's just a matter of where do you stand personally? Personally, we sort of stand on the fact that we don't think it should be played. But I think we all also understand why people think that it should. And it does provide these people or these players uh, an opportunity to protest and an opportunity to silently protest. And we have to remember all of this real sports speaking out started with Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the anthem. And if we didn't play the anthem, that wouldn't have been possible to begin with. So it does sort of take away from that platform. But at this point, we have to ask ourselves, is this doing more harm than it is good? And that's what MLS needs to ask itself and understand whether where they stand and understand if this is the right thing that they should be doing. But Let's talk about some non-controversial things or maybe controversial things if you're a Seattle or LAFC fan because LAFC, they did not do very well. Um, Raul Rui Diaz scored an absolute banger, uh, which Kevin Vermeer, or Kenneth Vermeer, not Kevin, Kenneth Vermeer was out of position for, in my opinion. Do you guys think he could have done more on that goal or do you think that was just unsavable? I, I mean, I think it was an absolute, you know, it was just an absolutely great strike from Rui Diaz. I mean, it was just, I can't even believe he just like saw, basically the ball just landed at his feet. He was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot it. Like he just like knew exactly what he was doing. So I think from that sense, there was really nothing Vermeer could do. That being said, I think he's been kind of mistake prone. Like he hasn't been a great shot stopper so far in his in his time in MLS. So it's not all that surprising. And, and then even later in that game, one of Jordan Morris's goals, he like came way out 
of the goal. I think Morris wasn't even in the box yet, and he went to tackle Morris, tackle the ball away, and Jordan Morris just like moved one inch to the, his left and left Vermeer on the ground and then put it in the net like super easily. So I don't know, some questionable choices from Vermeer. So it's kind of a perfect mix, I think, of of Rui Diaz's strike and uh, Vermeer's lack of positioning. But I, for me personally from that game, the biggest thing that is sticking out to me is LAFC have scored just once since MLS is back. Twice if you go back to that game against Orlando City in which they got knocked out before the, the penalty shootout. So something's up with them. I don't know what it is. I know Edward Atuesta didn't play and the team is not as good without him. You know, obviously Carlos Vela is out, but they didn't have a problem scoring without him in the tournament in Orlando. So I, I don't think that's a fair a fair excuse, especially when you have Diego Rossi, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Brian Rodriguez as your front three. Like, you should still be scoring goals, especially against the LA Galaxy. And, I mean, you tore apart Seattle back in Orlando. This isn't that different of a team. Like, oh, of course they play better in this case than they did down in Orlando. But at the same time, like, there's... I'm pretty sure it was the same center back pairing. No, no, it was a different center back pairing. But the point remains, Seattle's back line is not what it was. LAFC should have scored more than just once. Drew, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I thought, kind of go on the opposite end of that. Um, Seattle has scored six goals in two games. They scored three against Portland in their first game and then dropped three on LAFC. And specifically, Jordan Morris, obviously that two-goal performance. But I thought... When we talked about the MLS's back team of the tournament, um, we talked a little bit about how Jordan Morris, I kind of felt like he was overshadowed because his performance I thought was really good in that tournament. But just because Diego Rossi and Nani, Nani um, had those like two wing positions in the team of the tournament, I felt like everyone just forgot about Jordan Morris's performance. And granted, Seattle didn't make a trip to the final or anything like that or didn't win Golden Golden boot. So I thought he did really well in the MLS's back tournament, and it's bleeding over. I think in this little phase one bubble. Granted, uh, he kind of caught the LAFC keeper making a really weird decision and just took that one simple touch. But I thought he's been a monster. He was incredible in Orlando. That's carrying over um, to this phase one thing. So yeah, I mean, scoring three goals back to back games. Again, there's a lot of questions about LAFC because. Like you said, Josh, you still have an attack that most teams would love to have, and you're still only cranking out one goal where we're used to seeing you score four or five in some cases. So, but I, I, when I watched this game, I was more focused on Seattle keeping up and scoring three goals again, and really Jordan Morris keeping his form from the MLS's back tournament and carrying over now. Connor, what did you think about Seattle's win? I think this is just Seattle in August. And we should all be used to the fact that they're a second half of the season kind of team. And even though we've only played five games, we're technically, in terms of when the season would actually be being played, in the second half. So obviously uh, Seattle are going to be insane. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. Like Josh brought up his overrated Diego Rossi, as he believes. So maybe that played a factor, although I think he's good. Um, I think... LAFC just ran into a good team and they're missing their best player and they were missing Atuesta. That's two of your best players and two of your most important players. So I understand the fact that they maybe got beat a little badly. Uh, but 
I don't know. I don't think that's taking anything away from Seattle. I think they're also good. I think Rui, da- Rui Diaz has been playing very well. Jordan Morris has obviously been playing very well. And LAFC is going to be a team to watch to see whether or not they can actually make some noise this season or whether or not this Carlos Vela injury is going to really cost them everything. Uh, let's move on to Portland versus RSL. What did you guys think of that game? Because that was an insane match. Ended in a 4-4 draw. Drew, we haven't heard very much from you today because it's mostly just been Josh and I ranting. What did you think about this game? Um, it was, first off, a very entertaining game. Demir Krylock, as Demir Krylock does, just shows up in random times with the coolest goals. So that was cool. Um, probably the most entertaining game of the week, even though I don't think any of us picked it as our game to watch last week but my biggest takeaway from that game is that Portland's let in seven goals in the past two games we talked last week about their performance against Seattle and how it kind of felt they lost three nothing and it felt like that three nothing wasn't too justified because I thought Portland was really good in that loss but just you had some offside calls go your way and um seven fry made some pretty incredible saves um but yeah, I mean, seven goals in two games. Granted, their attack was Portland's attack, scoring four goals. But you score four goals a game, you expect to win. So, and this is a team that we're used to, that being their strong suit, is sitting back and defending. And we talked last week, maybe there was a little bump in the road after an extended stay at the MLS's back tournament, obviously winning the whole thing. Um, but I mean, the second week, I was not, I was expecting him to get the win. Um, and I was surely not expecting to let in four goals. So credit to RSL. It took advantage. Um, Crylock again with a worldie. And yeah, I mean, seven goals in two games definitely needs to change if they want to make a run at this. But again, I mean, they want MLS's back tournament. So really, I mean, it's kind of hard to think of an incentive with uh, these games because you already have that Champions League spot put up. But I mean, at least have some kind of effort on the defensive side because seven goals in two games is not going to cut it. Josh, what did you think about the 4-4 draw? It was extremely entertaining. I'll say that. The highlights are really fun. I watched them the next morning. And Corey Baird, insane dribbling. Sebastian Blanco with a great left-footed curler into the side netting. It was awesome. A lot of good goals. That being said, I am starting to worry about the Timbers just a little bit. Like you said, they've given up a lot of goals, but my biggest issue is that they gave up two goals in like the last four minutes of the game. This could, I think, potentially be harmful to them mentally as a team and, and sort of with the team morale because giving up two late goals in a game that you pretty much dominated for the most part, like that's got to be pretty crushing. So we'll see if the, it, it affects Portland going forward. They obviously... You know, those Western Conference games, you know, they're playing, what, Seattle and obviously RSL. But all, all these teams have these little pods that they're in in this first part of the phase. So I'm wondering how that's going to affect Portland going forward. Connor, what are your thoughts on this match? I didn't really catch much of it. I saw the Krylak goal, which was really nice. And I think he did it again. He's done it before. Karate Kid Part which, 2, baby. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's kind of impressive to be able to do that twice and do it accurately. But I don't know. 4-4 draw, you can't ask for much more in terms of a soccer game. Like, you want goals, you got goals. That's for sure. And clearly an exciting finish if uh, RSL scored twice in the last 5-10 minutes. So I think 
that's just good for soccer and good for both these teams, even if they didn't know if they allowed way too many goals on Portland side and RSL side. I'm not really worried about Portland. I think they're still trying to get their feet under them. They've played a lot of soccer over the last couple months. And I think we need to keep that in mind in terms of the fact that a lot of these teams are pretty well rested and they're having to play against guys who are full energy and full health. And we don't know if all these players are full at full health yet because they finished what, like 20 days ago was their last game at MLS's back. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that they'll get better as the season goes on. And they do have that Champions League spot um, locked up. If that even happens this next year, question marks around that because COVID. But let's talk about some other bits of news. Uh, NYCFC and Orlando both finished the week with two wins. This is your time, gentlemen. Let your souls out and just rant because Atlanta United finally lost to Orlando. And how are you feeling? Personally, I'm not that upset about it. It, I think, I think most Atlanta fans kind of knew this was going to happen. Like they were pretty much bracing themselves. Especially, I mean, props to Orlando. They made it all the way to the MLS's back final. It definitely wasn't a fluke. They were clearly one of the better teams in that tournament. They're still playing basically the same way. So, I mean, again, Orlando makes the final. Atlanta doesn't win a single game, doesn't score a single goal. With that knowledge, you would say, oh, yeah, of course Orlando's going to win. So as, as myself, a rational fan, I, I, was ex- I wasn't necessarily expecting Orlando to win, but I knew the possibility was higher than it's ever been. That being said, I also wasn't too disappointed in the way Atlanta was playing because if you take away their two fatal errors that led to two goals like directly, then it's a decent game. It's 1-1. There were some promising things from some players. Uh, you know, It was good to see Jurgen Dam on the field. Kubo Torres got some more time this week. George Bellow is looking very good for being 18 years old or 19 years old, however young he is. So I think there's a lot to like about Atlanta. And, you know, at this point, I'll, I'll take whatever the team can give me as a fan because of how crappy things have been up to this point. Wins are going to be great. I'm not expecting much out of them. My expectations are super low at the moment. Drew, what were your thoughts on on Saturday's win, the inevitable, or Saturday's loss? So, my most, my biggest thought was like my. I don't know if it did it for you, Josh, but like my TV cut out like half the time during that game, and I missed the only goal because like. Yeah, I thought, like, there was a storm in Atlanta because it was on Telemundo. And I thought there was a storm in Atlanta. That's, like, why it wasn't working. But it was perfect outside. So that was a bummer. I missed the goal. Like, the TV came back on. I was like, oh, crap, we scored a goal. But, yeah, I mean, again, if you're going to lose to Orlando, lose in 2020 without Joseph Martinez, like, we knew it was going to happen. And, yeah, like Josh said, I don't think Atlanta played too bad. Um, I thought they missed a penalty there at the end. I don't remember whose boot it was hit whose head. But I thought they missed a penalty there. Um, I think Barco hit the post on a free kick. So I, they didn't play too bad. Again, the loss was going to happen eventually. Orlando wasn't a fluke run. You can't make a fluke run like that in those conditions. But yeah, I think Josh made a good point with George Bello. He was flying all down the left side. So it sucked. Um, it kinda, I was picking a draw because I thought there was no way Atlanta was going to win. But 
yeah, Orlando's good. Atlanta's not right now, but positive vibes as I think the team's getting better. Hey, and, and Pedro Gallesi had a really good game too. Orlando's goalkeeper, he made that save on the corner kick was ridiculous. Exactly, and there was a couple other good spots that he had, good saves that he had. So definitely, you know, I, I respect the win that Orlando grabbed. I'm not the most upset. Again, if this had been literally any other year, then I would be pretty annoyed, maybe a little embarrassed, but 2020, it's different. Um, some other little bits of news. Chicago got their first win in their return to Soldier Field. Obviously, unfortunately, it wasn't in front of fans, but they destroyed Cincinnati 3-0. Speaking of Cincinnati, they drew Columbus, who has only, that was the only point Columbus got this week. So for a team that was in the lead of the standings at the end of last week on our podcast, they are no longer in first place. DC, they got slaughtered by Philadelphia 4-1. Former Atlanta United player Julian Gressel, according to Twitter, was awful, even though he did score DC's only goal, so I guess he sort of made up for it. Uh, personally, the biggest news for me was the the domestic players that the young domestic players, I should say, that had a huge day on Saturday on the 29th. You had, I think it was 14 players from 16-year-old Cade Cowell, who made his, I think it was his first start for San Jose, scored a goal, all the way up to Jeremy Abobasi. So, and and one of the cooler things just from looking at the list, and this was a tweet from. Brian uh, Shiretta. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but you should follow him on Twitter. He's really good about following the U.S. players, especially the young ones. But he put together a really good list of all these under-20 eligible players, under-23 eligible players that had great days. And to me, the best part was it wasn't just Philadelphia and Dallas kids. It was players from all over. It was Orlando, Red Bulls. Atlanta, Chicago, Minnesota, NYCFC, Portland, Sporting Kansas City, Colorado, San Jose, all across the board, in addition to the usual suspects from Dallas and Philadelphia. Drew, did you have any thoughts on those young players or maybe some other uh, games from this past week? Um, not particularly. Yeah, like you mentioned, the U23s, that was a good tweet. I actually didn't know that until he dropped in that outline here. Um, Babusio, it was good seeing him score a goal because I feel like the last time we talked about him, he didn't have the best game. Um, yeah, so not a whole lot to take from it. Uh, yeah, good day for U23 domestic players. Good week for him. On top of that, today, Casper Shabilko was named Player of the Week. I personally did not pick him i picked daryl dk from orlando he had three goals and two assists this week and i also picked alexander ring who i didn't catch any of the new york city games but apparently he was playing on the wing he's normally in central midfield so it seemed like ronnie dyla was changing it up with him which i found to be very interesting um but he also he scored i think two goals and had an assist this week he had a really good week no one picked him though Drew, who do you think should have won? Do you agree with Casper Shabilko being named Player of the Week? Yeah, I do. I think, yeah, he had three goals, I think, between the two games, and one of them was a pretty good goal. So I was impressed by his performance. Um, I thought maybe Jordan Morris could get a nod in there. Um, yeah, I think your last, your pick of DK, I thought that was justified. Um, he had a really good performance against Nashville and Atlanta. I think he had two goals and an assist between those two games. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm not too upset about Shabilko getting it. I thought they were two pretty good striker goals, just getting on the ball in the box. And then he had that one. I think it was just outside the box he found the bottom corner. So I'm not too upset about it. Um, Josh, what did you think about Player of the Weeks? And are you are you happy with Shabilko getting it, even though you voted otherwise? I don't mind that Shabilko won the award. I think he was deserving of it. Like I said, I picked DK and Alexander Ring, though. I didn't really have Shabilko on my radar. But, again, he, he played well, so that was definitely okay with me. Connor, what were your thoughts on Player of the Week? I thought Shabilka was deserving of it. I thought he played well. Um, but, personally, I would have given it to the Black Players Coalition because of the boycotts and everything they did around that, and I think they were quite deserving of it, and it would have been good to see MLS really go and go out of their shell a bit and give it to them as sort of a homage for the things that they've been doing over the last week or so in this season. I was going to say, now that now that you mention it, that was a really good idea about the Black, pair, Black Players Coalition getting the nod. In hindsight, that seemed like it would have been a really really good gesture i think bringing even more awareness to it but go ahead connor yeah i was just i think it would have just been a good tribute to the players involved in that and everything that they've done this season and over the past week for mls and equality and all that but let's sort of move on and talk fc dallas what do we have to know about them i i put that in there you know dallas they finally won they got 3-1 win over minnesota um, also, some other Dallas news, uh, Paxton Pomacall is injured, and it's looking like he's going to miss the rest of the season, which is a huge bummer for any U.S. men's national team fans. And then on top of that, Fafa Picot, he, among many other players around the world, in basketball, in other soccer games, he put up the Wakanda Forever gesture, crossed his arms as a, as a goal celebration. I know Gianluca Busio did the same thing as well, because... Black Panther actor Chadwick Boseman passed away on Friday night. As a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it brought me a lot of sadness. I, you know, we were fortunate enough to see him in four Marvel movies and many other great movies. You know, played Jackie Robinson, and he's worked. I think he's worked with Ryan Coogler before, outside of Black Panther, and and a bunch of other movies that I, I can't name off the top of my head. But obviously very very sad to lose him and it was cool to see players doing the the wanda wakanda forever salute in honor of him definitely lost him very young do you guys have any uh, thoughts you wanted to add to that um yeah i mean i obviously that was that sucked um to lose him he was such an awesome person and like you mentioned the marvel movies he really 42 was like the movie that like i knew him from Cause like I watched it after like a youth baseball game, and that was like the best representation of Jackie Robinson I've ever seen. So to lose someone who portrayed Jackie Robinson as well as he did, um, super big blow. And I know Black Panther means so much to so many people. So awesome to see MLS and players across sports honor Bozeman, a great actor and a great person. Did you have any thoughts on it, Connor? Yeah, um, it's just. It's such a sad situation. It was so unexpected because he didn't tell people. And I understand that. I 
Dan wanting to keep that private because it's his le- his private life. And I think it's just inspirational how he was able to keep this a secret and how he was able to do so much in film, so many movies and have such an influence on society while going through this awful, awful disease and all the treatments that he would have had to have gone through. You know, it's it's just a really unfortunate situation because he was such a role model for little kids who, especially of color, because they didn't have someone up until Black Panther who looked like them and who they could look up to as a superhero. And he really embodied that role. He embodied who that was, whether it be the fact that he was doing all these things while secretly fighting this disease or going to hospitals and seeing kids who are ill or hurt or anything like that. Just everything he did showed how good of a person he was and how much he cared about people. And I think that's what really shows who Chadwick Boseman is. It He wasn't just an actor. He was a good person. And I think that's what you really need to strive for in life is to be a good person. So it was really sad to see him go and unfortunate to hear the news. And I was upset about it as I know a lot of people were, but we'll have his movies and we'll have his influence and he's he's always going to be somebody who people look up to. Uh, I think that's the main takeaway from his passing and everything that's sort of come out of it. Uh, let's move on though and let's talk about the standings because I'm very happy about them. Uh, Toronto FC is leading the league in points and I'm couldn't be happier, <laughs> frankly, but what do you guys sort of think about the standings and uh, do you have, have any sort of surprises there? What are your sort of thoughts on it and everything around Toronto being at the top of the standings, having only played really Vancouver and Montreal? Just to refresh our listeners, it's Toronto in first in the east with 18 points, Columbus 17 points in second, Philadelphia 15 points in third. To me, the the biggest change in this is obviously, I mentioned earlier, Columbus only got one point this week, which is big, because I don't know if they're going to award Supporter Shield or if that's even going to go towards the Champions League spot, but if there's a year to win it, this is probably the year. So Columbus are probably going to be disappointed that they they dropped some of those points this week. Also, Red Bulls, remember a week ago, they were in the top three, so they're completely out of that now. Philadelphia's jumped up in there. And then in the West, it's still Kansas City in first 16 points. Seattle's up there with 14 and tied for third are Minnesota and Portland with 11. Nothing too shocking there. I think those are four of the better teams in the West. I think it's just surprising that you don't see LAFC, which I think we also said last week. But again, they're not really doing much. They seem to be losing, which is weird. I think I just saw actually that this is just the third time in their history so far that they've lost consecutive games. So that's kind of a big deal. Drew, what do you think about the uh, the standings? Yeah, I mean, like you said, nothing too crazy. Um, Portland in fourth, I think, that might be beginning to slip away from. I don't know where they were last week, but if they keep it up, then I don't think they're going to be in fourth for very long. Um, yeah, LAFC in that seventh spot is pretty shocking. Vancouver 
in last and enter Miami in last in both their conferences. DC United in next to last in the East. I know we didn't have a whole lot of expectations for DC United, but I definitely didn't expect them to be as bad as they are. So I think that might be my biggest shock. Um, and yeah, Toronto, they kind of got this a much easier road to getting this this first place spot, but that's what they got to deal with. So credit to them for taking advantage of it. What do you think about the standings right now, Connor? Well, obviously I don't have an issue with it. I feel like that's a shocker to everyone. Uh, um, I am very happy with Toronto being at the top, but I don't know. Look, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get at this point. Uh, I'm happy with Toronto leading. I think Columbus are a good team and the fact that they're, a point behind is still a little nerve-wracking, and I'm not going to count them out. Uh, I do want to ask you about DC United, even though this podcast has been going for quite a while. What do you think they need to do? What changes need to be made there? I put out an article last week, I think, around potentially Luis Suarez could be a fit if he were to come to MLS at DC. But what do you guys sort of? What do you think that they need? I think they need a new coach. I think they need a bunch of new players, and I think they're screwed. They also are dealing with injuries. You know, Edison Flores, I think he had a concussion, some facial fractures, pretty bad stuff. So he's, you know, not having him is a big deal. But at the same time, Ben Olsen wasn't even using him correctly. So that, that's my biggest issue. I have nothing against Ben Olsen as, as a coach, really. I think, you know, he, he's shown that he can get results with DC, but I'm... As a neutral, it's frustrating to see him not using the talent he has. Again, it's Flores, Gressel, Yamil Assad, Ola Kamara, who has been a proven scorer in MLS. He hasn't even been doing anything. So there's clearly something going wrong in D.C., and I wonder how much longer Ben Olsen is going to last. I mean, they just looked. They, they were non-existent against Philadelphia over the weekend. It looked like a team that had no passion whatsoever for what they were doing. So... And I think that's sort of a, a scary thing to see from from an outside perspective. Drew, what are you, your thoughts on DC United right now? Um, yeah, not a whole lot. I haven't been able to catch a whole lot of their games. But, I mean, you say you look at the roster and the talent they have. I mean, I don't think they're MLS Cup contenders or anything, but they're they're better than what the record shows, 13th place um, out of the 14 teams in the East. And I don't even know where that stands in the entire Shield race. Um, but, yeah, I think – you hit the nail on the head. They have so much talent, and injuries obviously aren't helping, but they're better than what they're shown. And to me, that points to the coach more than anything. So it's they're an interesting spot because they have a lot of talent, but it's just not coming together um, for whatever reason. So, yeah, I think you hit it pretty well that the coaching needs to change or shift totally because they have way too much talent to be where they're sitting at right now. What do you think about them, Connor? I think – they probably just need a new coach. Uh, I would love to see Suarez play on that team. I think that uh, they would work in a really well in a four-one-two-one-two wide formation. You know, having Kamara and Suarez up top with like Gressel and Flores on the wings, and maybe Higuain at Cam, but or something along those lines. I think that could be really intriguing. But yeah, they just need more. And they need to play better. They haven't really fully recovered from the departure of Wayne Rooney. And they really need to sort things out and get back to where they were and the threat that we thought they were. So let's give our final little segment as Josh is yawning. 
What are your matches of the week? Who wants I, to start? I'm going to start. I've got LAFC versus San Jose. I'm super excited about this. San Jose played pretty well against LA Galaxy this past weekend. They lost 3-2. to two. Again, we mentioned Cade Cowell. He's pretty good, 16-year-old first start. Uh, the reason why I am super excited for this game is because these two teams, when they faced off against each other last year, it was a very fun clash of different tactics. Again, San Jose have the man-marking scheme under Matias Almeida, which is always entertaining. But against a team like LAFC that presses and possesses, it's especially entertaining. It was very back and forth. Uh, people will remember Carlos Vela's wonderful goal last year in which he put three or four San Jose players into the ground with his awesome dribbling. So and it was quite unfortunate for San Jose because I was wa- I remember watching that game and thinking, man, San Jose, are, they, they were close. They hit like the woodwork a couple times. They had a few really, really, really good chances, didn't capitalize on it. Obviously, you can't do that or else you get destroyed by LSC, which is exactly what happened. So from a neutral perspective, it was super entertaining every time they faced off last year. I'm expecting the same thing this weekend, even if Vela isn't playing. Connor... What is your game of the week? Um, there are a lot of good games this week. I'm struggling to pick one in particular. Uh, I'd love to give you four, but that's not possible. Um, the beauty of MLS. Yeah. Drew, I'll let you go first because I'll make my decision afterwards in case I've one of my four is the one that you're going to say. So what, do you, what is your game of the week? Can you pin it down to one? Um, it's hard, but I have pinned it down to one. It's the same night as Josh's LAFC San Jose, and it is RSL taking on the Seattle Sounders. Both teams in their last performance, RSL dropped four goals on Portland, and Seattle is coming off a three-goal performance against LAFC. I think there are going to be a lot of goals in this game. Maybe Demir Krylock pulls a Karate Kid Part 3. Odds are in his favor, but you never know. It's MLS, late night MLS. So, yeah, both teams scored a lot of goals last game. Will they do the same this time? I don't know, but I'm keeping my eye on Seattle and RSL. All right, that was not one of my games. So I still got forward. Um, <laughs> there are two Wednesday night I'd like to watch. There are There is one Saturday night you can probably, or two Saturday night, I guess, and that would be the t- four. Um, if I have to pick one, I will go Portland versus LA Galaxy because I think that there will be zero defending and all out attacking. And I think that there could be a lot of goals in that match. But this week was incredibly tough to narrow it down to one game because there are a lot of good ones this week. Um, do you have anything either of you want to add to the podcast? All right, Drew, take us out of this pretty sad episode. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, again, yeah, thanks for sticking around. We're going for our hour. But yeah, as always, please go visit MLSMultiplex.com as the three of us and other writers on the website crank out really good stories, um, previewing games, reviewing games, and just storylines to follow across the league. So please visit MLSMultiplex.com and please leave a review on this podcast. Uh, love to hear from you guys how we can improve how we can get better i mean please visit us on social media mls multiplex at mls multiplex myself at underscore drew hubbard josh uh, at josh underscore bullet and connor at cwg somerville so please uh, visit the website and thank you guys so much again for listening and we'll see you all next week
Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.